Welcome to the EQ Minds Recharge Your Mental Health Podcast. I'm Chelsea Pottinger, the host of this show and founder of EQ Minds, where we empower you to take care of your mental health and well-being. My book, The Mindful High Performer, is available worldwide. Click the link in the description to get your hands on a copy today. Discover how to make small changes to feel better every day. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Alan Sparks. Alan is one of Australia's most decorated citizens. He has received numerous awards for heroism and service, including Australia's highest bravery decoration, the Cross of the Law. Alan's incredible acts of courage include rescuing a small boy from a flooded storm water pipe and saving the life of an Aboriginal man who fell onto train tracks. He has also been recognised for his service to mental health support organisations and the community. In addition to his awards, Alan fulfilled his childhood ambition of sailing across the oceans of the world with his wife and children. His inspiring story of overcoming fear and turning failure into success is shared through his book, The Cost of Bravery, and his dynamic presentations which have reached audiences across Australia and internationally. Alan's work in the mental health sector and his personal experiences with PTSD and depression have provided him with a deep understanding of the factors that contribute to psychological struggles. Through education and knowledge, Alan aims to bring acceptance and hope to others, and he does just that. Alan is an incredible friend of mine, and I guarantee you'll find invaluable insights on today's show. Let's get started. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by the magnificent Alan Sparks today on our show. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the EQ Minds podcast. Uh, thanks so much for the invitation, Chelsea. It's um, super excited to be here with you, I can assure you. You've had such a interesting journey and I'd love our audience to un- understand your your story and what you've been through to get to where you are today. Um, yeah, I guess it has, as you say, it has been a very interesting life. Um, I came from the country, a little village in, in um, central west New South Wales, and um, up until the age of 19, had sort of gone to school, worked in farm and rural areas, was actually a shearer. And then at 19 years of age, I joined the New South Wales Police Force, uh, which I loved um, back in 77, and yeah, worked at Darlinghurst and King's Cross, then became a detective. Worked to the CIB, uh, met my future wife uh, in the police force, then moved to Coffs Harbour in 1989. And uh, tragically, in the latter part of my career, I was involved in some pretty horrible incidents, which led me to being uh, ultimately diagnosed with PTSD and chronic depression um, and a very, very strong desire to end my life. And back then, um, we didn't know a whole lot about PTSD and, and associated trauma-related mental illnesses, but clearly the police force took the view that if you were diagnosed with such mental illnesses, um, then you were not worthy of being in the police force. There was nothing that you could do. You could never recover. And I was uh, medically discharged, uh, essentially despite my desire not to be discharged and stay working in a job that I loved. So that part of my life was a very, very dark period. Um, it was actually horrendous. And to lose to lose my my career, um, to nearly lose my life, to nearly lose my family, all those things were a real challenge to me. Um, and then I sort of had to reinvent myself and 
and go on a very long recovery process. And but it's funny how life turns out. You know that that process then led me to become involved with some wonderful organisations, and ultimately to where I am today. But I think the great thing is it's that that period of, of my life has taught me so much, and I always wanted to know why. Why did I become so terribly, terribly unwell, and why did I want to end my life? And I accepted that those mental illnesses were a major contributing factor, but. I think for me, the beauty was I, I really determined why the lead up to it was, was such a important factor in what ultimately happened. And that's what I focus on today is trying to help people understand the why factor so that they can come to peace with, uh, with how they are. Mm, I think you have been so open about that. And, you know, you talk about, I guess, the shame of admitting to yourself and others about your mental illness. How how did you turn that shame in, into hope? Yeah, and it was shame, and it was a sense of guilt, and um, you know, I was um, the humiliation, and all these associated really deep negative feelings that have such a huge impact, and this sense of worthlessness and hopelessness. And I felt that for many many years, um, particularly after being diagnosed with mental illness, and the process of being. Um, in the in the treatment phase of mental illness, all these things, it, it was a real struggle to actually stay, keep my head above the water, so to speak. And I think that when I was given the opportunity to uh, to become very public about these illnesses, I could then get the sense that um, people were happy to hear from somebody who was going through it and who, in, in a sense, had recovered greatly, uh, but not fully. And that was sort of the starting point where I thought, okay, there's something I can contribute back here. That I can make some sense of what actually happened to me. And then in 2013, Penguin published my book, and that was the really kickstart to speaking very publicly about my mental illnesses and suicidal ideation. And that's when I thought, you know, I can I can give people hope that they can recover from the the dark hole that they have gone into which was extremely important, of course. Absolutely. And your, your book is wonderful. And I'm going to pop that into the show notes as well so people can get a copy of that because it's so raw and authentic. And also you give some really practical tips that people can do as well to help them or help a loved one going through that. And I, I really feel like you've overcome this fear and, and turned it into courage. Any tips for the audience of how they can do that as well? Yeah, I think it gets back to the, the to the science behind fear, um, and that's what I've been really blessed to to learn about. You know, we we talk about the um, you know the fight or flight um, reaction that we have to fear, and for the audience, you know, to to learn more about that fight or flight, what we refer to as the HPA axis, to understand how that operates in our body and the importance of it in our in our lives when combating fear and worry and anxiety. So we can't actually stop the process, but what we can do is intercept it, but we can also learn to manage it. And I think that once you understand why you are feeling the way you are and perhaps the lifestyle choices that you have made or experiencing, how that impacts upon you, then once you learn that and you have that knowledge, you go, ah, now I get it. Now I know what I can do. And it gives you this sort of, I think it creates a sense of a shield of uh, or a suit of armour to protect you or help rebuild you if you are really, really um, struggling. So for me, knowledge is, is, is all powerful. 
um, and being blessed to be involved with clinicians as I have, um, it's helped me understand and learn and then pass this knowledge on, which I, I as you do, Chelsea, you, you are such a great educator. You help people learn and understand. And when you can understand it, you can accept it and then you can move on and, and do great things. Mm, thank you, Alan. So that, it's, I mean, that's so, so important. And even that, that connection between care and courage, any thoughts around that? Yeah, I um, obviously because of my awards, I get asked the question a lot, you know, you know, how do you describe bravery? How do you describe courage? Um, and for me, I think the most important element of courage or a benchmark for courage is a person's willingness to care. And perhaps if I can use the analogy, the more willing you are to care, then I think the more courageous you are. And, and that comes from my own personal experiences, my own thoughts, but also speaking to literally hundreds and hundreds of bravery recipients, you get this extraordinary sense of you know, these people really care or they have really cared about what they did. They've cared so much to save the life or lives of others. Um, and I look at our first responders and people in organisations that they, they need to have a, a sense of care, but that can also make them very vulnerable. But yeah, I, as a as a one liner, I say for me, courage is a willingness to care. I love that. I absolutely love that. The, you know, we both work in this mental health space, and a question that I get a lot, that I know that you get a lot, is around when you ask someone if they're doing okay, and they say that they're fine, but you know that they're not. <laughs> How how do you encourage that person to take action? I think the fact that they're thinking about it is a great start. It shows they actually care about this person. I think it's a matter of understanding what that person may be going through. But how do you confront the person? How do you raise the topic? How do you raise a subject? Um, to be very honest, I don't like, are you okay? I think that's most Australians will say, yep, I'm fine. Um, they can become a little bit aggressive back saying, well, why are you asking me if I'm okay? Of course I'm okay. But I think you've got to come in very, very well prepared to ask a question about a person's potentially declining or evident mental health. So you've got to have the, the material to back up what you are going to do. And I think that's important to have like an evidence some evidence as to you know, the changes you've seen, uh, the changes you've heard, all these factors can give you the the, uh, the materialist to justify why. I also say on the other side, you need, if you can, to have information about support available to the person. I don't like the deflection a lot of people receive when it's like clearly you're unwell, you need to contact the EAP or you need to go and get help. If you care about that person and you have the option, if they say, yeah, I need help, you say, look, you know what, I've contacted the EAP, I've spoken to them, I've been to see them, this is what it's like, this is the process, I will go with you, I will make a call for you. But it all gets back to the genuineness. And I think, Chelsea, you and I both share the knowledge that when we're really, really unwell, to have somebody actually want to put their arms around you physically or metaphorically 
to say, I care about you. You're very, very important to me. I want to help you. That can give you hope in itself that somebody is there for you, will walk with you um, to go out of that horrible dark place back into a place of light. But it's genuineness. It's being well, well prepared. And, and how you phrase a question, I often say, I've noticed some changes and I'm, I'm really worried about you. You know, you're a very important person to me. I care about you and I want to help. And I think that maybe for me, that's a different dialogue rather than just asking a direct question. And perhaps it may have more meaning to the person who is being having a question posed to them. And I think that's that's really important. It's more solution focused than just, you know, asking a question and raising awareness. And then all of a sudden we've got all this awareness, but we have no solution for that yeah. person. And I feel like, you know, when I was really unwell, I couldn't make those decisions. I was so clinically unwell, I didn't even know what to do. And it was my husband that wrapped his arms around me and he said, I've got you. Let me call the doctors. Let me call our cousin who's a psychiatrist. Let me drive you to the hospital and meet you straight in. And because I was so sick, I didn't know what to do. And some people are in that position where you're like, well, if you just go call the EAP or if you go and, you know, go and speak to your psychologist, I mean, half the time, Alan, you can't get in to see a psychologist exactly. for six months. Exactly. And, you know, you can't say to that person, can you just put your suicidal thoughts on hold just for a year for me? Because there's, there's no access point here. Yeah. Um, so you do really need that person to take control, like what you said. And, and it's just one person, isn't it? It's just that one person that truly cares about you. That's all that that person needs and I loved the way that you just framed that because it's so genuine and so authentic and that's what that person needs in, in yes. that period of time. Exactly. And for us it's a journey, isn't it, in terms of our own mental health and we're always working on it because <laughs> we have this for the rest of our life. Uh, so I would love to know from, from your perspective, you know, what you do these days to, to protect your mental health. Yeah, I think... Um... There are many of us who I see as ambassadors for good physical and mental health, and I say we have to be a living, breathing example of how we want others to be. We can't be in front of people and say, I suggest you do this, you do that, you do that, and be the complete opposite of what we're asking people to, to be. So we have to do the things that we believe or we know are critically important to a person's physical and psychological health. Yeah, and sure, sometimes we, we stray away from that. We we perhaps might have a drink or two too many or we don't get enough sleep, whatever. But but um, to answer your question, Charles, I have what I call my foundation stones. And if my foundation stones are solid, then it's like a foundation of a building. If the foundations are solid, what you build on top of that is if, should be far more solid. If your foundations are very wonky, yeah, your physical and psychological health is going to be very wonky. And and I get it gets back to my knowledge now of why I became so unwell. Was became because I became so horrendously burnt out, which left me vulnerable to the development of trauma-related mental illnesses. So for me, the focus is don't become burnt out. Or if you are burnt out, get the hell out of there and get back to a good state of health. So I use the mental health continuum as part of my foundations, um, which was developed by the Mental Health Commission of Canada. Um, you can go online and find them. They're fantastic. So I can I can mentally see my continuum and go, okay, you're heading to the red zone or heading to the 
Orange saying, get back here, son. Um, and I know that one or two or three of my foundations have become a bit unstable. So for me, the number one is sleep. Quality sleep is critically important to physical and mental health. Um, I then look at, you know, my my nutrition levels. I think nutrition is critically important to our gut health, to our brain health. Um, uh, and including nutrition is, is alcohol and caffeine consumption. Um, you have to be very moderate about that. I don't say to people, you've got to give up alcohol forever. But I think if you're starting to hit that burnout stage, then's the time to say, whoop, pause, no more. Um, yeah, caffeine's a stimulant. So nutrition, um, positive social connection, building good positive relationships, having those relationships around you is critically important. Um, also, I'm a great believer in using technology. I wear a wrist-worn device, which gives me so much data that I can analyse each day and I can... It is so funny, even just one alcoholic drink at night will affect my sleep, my HRV, all these things. I go, oh, wow. Then I look back to what I used to drink as a young cop and I go, oh, God, how'd you ever survive? Um, and I also know that um, if I'm starting to get a bit un un unsteady, unstable, um, I go back to diaphragmatic breathing. And for everybody who does yoga, you'll understand, or, or meditation, you'll understand how important and how useful diaphragmatic breathing is as a healer, but also as a strengthener of your mind and body. So I look at all of those and also um, my fitness levels, my exercise levels, um, my movement levels. I learned off a great guy, Matt Elliott and Nan Baldwin and... Uh, a number of other guys I used to be involved with, learning that movement is for health and exercise is for fitness. So I make sure that I move heaps and heaps and heaps and build up to exercise if I'm on a bit of a fitness regime. So they're essentially my key ones that I, I know that I need to keep as strong as possible. And from that, I can, I can expand, I can grow, I can become healthier, fitter, um, sharper, more um, motivated to do things um, but yeah that's what I, I focus on because I do not want to become burned out yeah I have been we all become burned out but I I don't want to ever go back to that horrible place that I once was mm -hmm. such fantastic advice and, and tips Alan you are one of the most sought after speakers here in Australia with what you do <laughs> and your workshops and We've got a big corporate audience that follows us here on EQ Minds. Where can people find out more about Alan Sparks and the great work um, that you do? Oh, thanks, Chelsea. I mean, I, I'm a pretty active on LinkedIn. I, I really like a lot of LinkedIn. I love the positivity and I love the fact that people, particularly you, um, you share knowledge to help people freely and voluntarily. And that, I see, is such a quality, Chelsea, of, of somebody like you who wants to help people learn and understand and you are a great advocate for proactivity in the mental health space and i think that we really need to focus on proactivity so people don't become in a state of mental ill health in the first place because we don't have resources to help them after they have become unwell in real terms despite all the, the rubbish we hear so it's um 
to answer your question, I think the easiest way is either through LinkedIn or um, on my website. Um, it's simply alansparks.com, www.alansparks.com. Um, and then my contact, uh, so you can contact me through there or, um, or again through LinkedIn. Alan, what an absolute national treasure you are for us. Thank you so much for coming on our show today. I really appreciate it. Oh, look, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, thanks so much for all you do, Chelsea. Oh, thank you. This podcast and the information contained therein is made available for educational purposes only and is not intended to provide medical advice. This information should not be used as a substitute for competent medical advice from a licensed specialist, doctor or psychologist. Thank you.